You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Woman on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. They're not trying to calculate, you know, hey, this person was actually owed more money and we should pay it to them. What they're trying to do is ruin people, particularly people in the sort of band that's just edging towards the middle class, have a bit of time on their hands, they're, they're getting up there with a little bit of income, they've got some class mobility. Remedic is essentially a tax on class mobility. More from Asha Wolf real soon. Heads up, today's show discusses potentially triggering content, so if this episode isn't for you, please come back another week. If this warning has caused you any distress, please call Lifeline on 131114. That's 131114. In 2016, the federal government quietly rolled out the online compliance intervention. It would later become known as RoboDebt because of its automatic debt recovery process. Income data matching isn't new. The Department of Human Services has been comparing data submitted to the Australian Taxation Office with earnings reported to Centrelink as far back as 2004. But this time around, it was different. The onus was no longer on the department official to cross-check for inaccuracies. Now it was on the individual to prove they did not own money. This week on Woman on the Line, we hear about the dirty business of robo-debt, a scheme that left thousands of Australians drowning in debt, with many more sadly pushed over the edge. To help us make sense of this scheme, I reached out to Asha Wolf, one of the more recognisable faces behind the robo-debt campaign. My name is Asha Wolf, and in... uh November 2016, I became aware of what's now called RoboDebt. Um, RoboDebt is a scheme um, known as the Non-Employment Income Data Matching Scheme um, that was announced by Christian Porter, who is now the Attorney General of Australia, um, who was then head of DSS. Um, And the plan was to essentially remove oversight over an algorithm that automatically matched people's um, income with their uh, Centrelink payments and was supposed to look for discrepancies. Unfortunately, the algorithm was uh, faulty in many ways and (laughs) as a result, Centrelink DHS at the time raised debts that did not exist. So people would receive a letter quite often saying, you owe us thousands when they Mm. owed nothing at all. Basically, I came on board with the Not My Debt campaign as a result of two things. First of all, somebody sent me a a message saying, hey, have you heard about this new thing called NIDEM, which is the Non-Employment Income Data Matching Scheme? I had no idea about it. Um, When reports began to pop up in the media, then I put two and two together and went, right, there is something really badly wrong here, and began seriously pushing for an investigation um, and helping work on this campaign with many, many other people. Um, And the other reason why I was really fiercely involved with this campaign and tweeted thousands, literally thousands and thousands of times about it and worked quite hard to organise networking between different organisations was because my mum had (laughs) a robo-debt, not one of the 2015 onward cohort, but one of the earlier robo-debts. So she just left my dad and, yeah, 
Um, she received a, a letter from Centrelink saying that she'd been overpaid probably to do with family tax benefits and she really couldn't figure out for the life of herself how she'd managed to end up with the debt when she felt that she'd been doing everything perfectly right and, you know, um, yeah, I, I, it spoke to the injustice of the system and that really caught me. So you kind of touched on the fact that there was discrepancies. Um, firstly, can you tell us how the overpayment was calculated? Yeah, so what they did was if you worked casually or in the gig economy, they averaged your weekly income. Um, now, you just can't do that. Because <laughs> in the gig economy, what you earn one week is not what you earn the next. And so if you try and average amounts that people earn in one week across the course of a year, you are definitely going to end up with the wrong amount. Um, that's not something that you can do with casual contractors. Um, one of the other things that created robo-debts was that um, if you gave a name like Smith Blogs LTD as your employer to the ATO and then um, you put in your details with uh, Centrelink as you worked for Smith Blogs, I don't know, um, Limited or or org, or you missed one word or one sentence or one tiny little thing at the end of your uh, name of your employer, it assumed that you'd been working for two separate employers and assumed that you had actually worked for two people and that they should raise twice as much income for that period. So Yikes. people looked as like, yeah, no, it's really full on. And uh, other things that can cause robo-debts... Um, if you leave a partner um, due to domestic violence and they haven't watched their tax return and you have children, the government assumes that the family tax and the childcare subsidy that you received, you weren't entitled to it if your partner doesn't watch their tax return. So it can be a form of retribution um, by ex-partners that were involved in domestic violence who refuse to lodge tax returns that then compound domestic violence against women. And I think I think it's important for our audiences to know that data matching, it's not something new. It's been happening like since 2000, I think 2004, early 2000s at least. But this time around with the robo-debt, um, the onus was on, on the individual where before it was on like like a department head to kind of do the investigation. What kind of issues do you think occur when the individual becomes the detective? Well, I mean, the first thing is that pre-2015, um, 20,000 robo-debts were being raised a year. Um, and these were quite often booked over by a human being. So there was oversight. There was a level of accountability that was there previously that has been removed. Um, so suddenly the government started pumping out 200,000, or sorry, 20,000 a week uh, of these letters. Um, and that's just a huge amount of debt letters to be sending out. I mean, the thing that most people don't seem to um, flap about, which mm. really upsets me, is how does it come about that the government is miscalculating such huge amounts of welfare payments in the first place? Like... If you have overpaid uh, 430,000 people, <laughs> then you have a big problem in the first place. Like, we shouldn't be trying to take money back from the poorest people out there. And um, I really struggle with, first of all, the processes that that are taking place and then 
the lack of accountability as a result. So people would say, hey, look, I, I think this is wrong. The government would say, no, 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 pay it. And people would say, but, 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 but I, I can't. And the government would say, oh, yeah, well, we're garnishing it from your tax return. Um, and if the money wasn't there in the tax return, it would get sent to probe or um, one of those outsourced contractors, debt collection contractors, to recover. Mm. Um, and people would say, well, stuff this, I'm going to leave the country, and they'll get to the airport and find that they actually couldn't get on a plane because they're legally barred because they had government debts. Um, and, and, you know, this this was a real uh, crackdown on people's yeah. civil liberties and, and um, welfare rights. All right. Even I think you you were sort of touching on it, but even with the process for fighting the debt, that was really difficult because the assumption is you've kept all your receipts, going back to all your workplaces and um, you know trying to find all that information, and not everyone keeps that information around. So the bureaucracy involved in kind of proving your innocence—that's wild. Yeah, and look, the more vulnerable vulnerable you are as a cohort, so let's say you have low literacy issues or let's say you have mental health issues or let's say you've moved around a lot due to homelessness, it's almost impossible for some people to track these things down. You know, they've worked for places that have gone bust or paid them cash in hand. Um, It really penalises people, particularly in... uh, the emerging gig economy, mm. and particularly people who are returning to work, um, looking at complaints about debt collection to the ACCC, um, the most overwhelming number of, of complaints was actually from parents, particularly mothers returning to work, who'd received Centrelink debts um, because they get stung by family tax benefit robo-debts. Yeah. And at what point do you also, like, who has the time to fight the notices. If you're working, like when, when during the day do you fight this? Do you know what I mean? It's just like because I've been reading up on this and just thinking, you know, how do they expect people to not only fight it but to also be resilient? Because there was a lot of knockbacks and also just knowing what papers to fill out, what numbers to call, and the Centrelink website they really make it hard for you to even, yeah, to do anything. So. I don't know. Um, Virginia Eubank wrote a book um, about algorithms that that essentially are the digital poorhouse. It's Dickensian. Um, the point is the cruelty. Um, it, they're not trying to calculate, you know, hey, this person was actually owed more money and we should pay it to them. What they're trying to do is ruin people, particularly people in the sort of band that's just edging towards the middle class have a bit of time on their hands, they're, they're getting up there with a little bit of income, they've got some class mobility. Robodeck is essentially a tax on class mobility. Um, if you begin to push towards that edge where you're um, just tipping over 45500 a year, um, you end up getting robo-debted, you end up um, losing access to some aspects of family tax benefit, um, you end up paying back your hex debt, and it all hits you all at the same time, which actually makes some people better off to stay in a lower band of income rather than try and push to move up into a middle class because the middle class actually impoverishes them to some degree. Right, right, okay. And it's kind of hard to, to, to explain that to people quite often. Um, they think, oh, you know, I'll just earn more money. Sometimes the amount that you take home in hand actually leaves you worse off because you end up owing more in tax and end up 
Owen Moore and um, in in lost um, benefits, so things like childcare subsidy. I mean, there's no point in working extra if you can afford less childcare as a result. Yeah. And I think with Centrelink as well, if you earn a certain amount, um, it reduces the amount of money that you do get paid. So your tech, you're always right. kind of just like surviving. <laughs> you're in survival mode. Right. You either want to be just sitting below that cutoff limit or you want to be earning over $70,000 a year. It makes um, living in the middle class a very difficult thing in Australia. And on community radio around Australia, you're listening to Woman on the Line. Woman on the Line, as you know, is produced in the studio of 3CR Community Radio and we're currently calling for support to help us continue bringing radical voices to the airwaves via a June radio appeal. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au slash donate. If you are able to support Community Radio at this time, please consider making a donation to 3CR or the local station that you are listening to us on. This week, we're speaking with campaigner Asha Wolf about the robo-debt scheme. In the next half of the interview, Asha looks at privacy law in Australia and gives us tips on how to be better campaigners. And I'd like to know your thoughts on using like AIs and just the whole use of algorithms in the welfare sector. Um, okay, so if I'm in my kitchen and I have a, a butter knife, it's a very useful tool. I can butter a piece of bread, I can chop up some vegetables, and if I'm feeling in a terrible mood, maybe I could commit a murder with a butter knife. AI is like that. AI is a very useful tool when it's used properly, when it's used carefully. Um, When AI is indiscriminately used on populations with accountability issues, um, so in particular with DHS, now called Services Australia, they released an AI on a group of people without really um, testing it properly. Um, they didn't look at the implications and the outcome has been, well, there's been people losing homes, um, huge mental health problems, people, um, there have been reports that people have committed suicide, unfortunately, as a result of robo-debt, I'm sad mm. to say. Um I think AI can be a useful tool, but bureaucracy without accountability is a form of violence. And robo-debt caused massive harm as a result because yeah. it, was a, it was a process of violence. At the start of the show, you talked about tweeting a lot and you weren't the only one. There was also someone by the name of Andy Fox, but her situation was different. So Andy Fox is a freelance writer. Um, she wrote a brilliant, brilliant piece about her own experience of having a robo-debt as a result of um, a divorce um, and her robo-debt related to family tax benefits. Um, she published the piece in a newspaper in an opinion editorial format and Ellen Tudge, who was then the Minister for the Department of Human Services, responded by releasing her case file details to a journalist who then published them to try and refute her details that she published about her robo-debt. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's actually a terrible thing. Um, it was really shocking at the time. It was quite chilling as well. My friend Peter Shinoli, who unfortunately passed away this year, a digital rights activist and um, a brilliant technologist, um, you know, he, he said that it was just 
an attempt to chill free speech in this country, and he was right. Um, the result was people became quiet for a little while in the robotic campaign. It didn't stop because there were still people who were outraged, but there's definitely people who thought twice about um, putting themselves out to the media to to oppose what the government was doing because they were aware that you know nobody was going to protect their privacy rights. And when it went to um, the OAIC, the Australian Office of Information Commissioner, um, you know, the Information Commissioner said, no, oh, no, I don't see any privacy breach here. <laughs> you know, wow. You kind of go, well, if that's, if that's the strength of our privacy rights in Australia, I think Australia really needs a better um, group of laws, particularly around human rights. Um, we probably need a Bill of Rights and uh, or a Rights Charter. We have very very, very weak privacy laws in this country. Um, and it's quite disappointing when you see countries like Europe, which now have things like the GDPR, sorry, countries. Mm. <laughs> when you see Europe, when you look at Europe and, you know, they have the GDPR, uh, they have they've started developing legislation and um, policy around uh, responsibility to do with AI. And, and you look at Australia and the sort of stuff that the government is framing around data rights is to do with consumer data rights. So if you're a consumer, you have some rights. Um, and that's not really how rights are supposed to work. Rights are supposed to be for everyone, and it's not meant to be framed in terms of, of purchasing power and capitalism. It's meant to be uh, socialised rights. The robo-debt scheme, that was scrapped in May. And like people like you, Andy Fox, there was the Unemployed Workers' Union, a bunch of people were involved because um, I know you've touched before on Twitter the importance of grassroots campaigning. So in Australia, we don't have huge philanthropy around not-for-profits and particularly around activism. Um, I think if robo-debt had happened in the US, there would have been a lot more... Um, capacity to fight robo-debt um, but here we actually needed to bring in everybody to work on it so we had civil society so we had people like Lindsay Jackson, um, Amy Patterson, JP Warren um, so Lindsay started Not My Debt which was a website that collated um, experiences of people with robo-debts um, and gave advice on how to fight them. JP Warren worked on um, freedom of information so he would, you know, um, request FOIs from the government and, um, you know, look for operational manuals around robo-debt. You had people like Senator Ludlam in in the Senate um, who pushed for an inquiry and same with um, Linda Burney from the ALP. Um, and then you had at, at the court side of things and the administrative side of things, you had uh, Terry Carney at the um, AAT who... Know, said this is illegal, broker debt is illegal, and, and the government's response to that was to essentially let him go from the AAT. Mm. Um, we, we needed a response that wasn't just civil society, we needed civil society plus um, people in government and people um, who were also in the court system um, who were lawyers helping us to fight it too, so big legal aid. Um, Rowan McRae. We really actually needed that win from Rowan McRae at Vic Legal Aid to get to this point. Um, and what we've achieved so far, yes, we all work together, but without um, the case of Amato versus the Commonwealth, we wouldn't have um, this outcome where the government's agreed to repay $721 million 
Um, and it'll probably end up being more. It'll probably end up being about $1.2 billion. Mm. Um, and that's before interest and compensation. So this is only the refund of the money that they took illegally, mm. unlawfully. At the end of the day, we're all paying back. We're the taxpayers. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, it's, it's frustrating because this money that they spent on a botched scheme and that will be spent fixing a botched scheme could have been going towards raising the rate and keeping the rate of JobKeeper raised permanently. It could have gone towards community programs in health or education um, rather than, you know, the $600 million that was originally used to um, to implement a punitive scheme such as RoboDebt. Um, we really need to look at priorities of government. Um, and if humans and people's rights aren't um, their first priority, we have to ask, well, why is today in government? <laughs> we have to ask, you know, why, 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 should we, why should we put up with it? <laughs> so with what you've learned and the outcome, what can we, those of us who, who want to take on, you know, these new campaigns, what can we learn from what you all did? I think one of the really useful things that I've learned is that to start a campaign that takes on a huge, huge, huge issue, you actually have to start by changing the narrative. And the Not My Debt and Robotic campaign worked very hard to change the national narrative on um, welfare recipients and social security. Any time that we heard the word doll bludger in use, we made sure that journalists knew how unacceptable that was. And really, watching the rise of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union has been a wonderful thing because um, everyone should be entitled to dignity, um, no matter who they are, no matter what their income, and no matter what they're going through. Um, and, and how dare a government treat people with less dignity just because they're unemployed? Um, people who are unemployed deserve more respect and more support than anybody else in our society. Um, and any government that thinks that they can use um, people who are out of work at the moment as as whipping um, posts better watch out. Look, I want to say that it's really, really important in long-term campaigns to support your comrades. Um, no, there are no heroes in in grassroots campaigns. There's no one person that uh, you know that should be held up on shoulders. Make sure that people feel valued. Everybody can com- can participate in some way or another. And to look for value in people who are going through hard times. You know, um, systems may be broken, but people aren't. You know, find the value in everyone. And that's all for Woman on the Line today. We want to thank Asha Wolf for helping us unpack the mess that was RoboDebt and for reminding us that there's strength in numbers. You can follow Asher Wolf on Twitter at Asher, spelt A-S-H-E-R, underscore Wolf. Woman on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CI in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show. So send us an email to womanontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 039419
Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website at 3cr.org.au slash Woman on the Line. Our new theme music is by Ripley Kavara. We're now going to leave you with a song by Sampa the Great called By River. My name is Ayan Shirwa and we'll see you again next week. I'm being advertised as no bubble see-through, token black, when mass fits all, my mind is getting uncomfortable. Distortion. Please keep you through trials, fortune. Through hella, fight feet, fella. 
one slick talking, black Cinderella, real fast walking, smooth shit, jazz shit, smile through rain, and shame, who had a shit.